This is the podcast of the California Institute of Integral Studies, where we bring you conversations and lectures from our public program series, featuring world-renowned scholars, leaders, authors, artists, and thinkers. In this episode, CIIS professor Sergio Rodriguez-Castillo examines why it makes sense to invite spirituality into the workplace and how to do it. This event was recorded on January 25th, 2018 in front of a live audience in San Francisco. To make sure you never miss an episode of the CIIS Public Programs podcast, find us and subscribe on iTunes or on our website at ciis.edu slash podcast. Welcome. Um, let me start by, you, you heard the official version of, of who I am and what I do, but let me give you a more of a humane, perhaps, version of who am I and, and why this topic is so important for me. So I was born now. <laughs> no, since I was very young, spirituality has been a very important part of my life. So when I decided what I wanted to do with my life, or so I thought back then, I chose to become a lawyer. And I thought that by being a lawyer, I was going to be able to really make a difference in the world. Little did I know what was going to happen for me. So I practiced law for about 12, 13 years. Uh, I, I practiced in, in, an auditing law f- in, in an auditing firm in the public sector. And eventually I went to the United Kingdoms and, and got um, a master's degree in international economic law. Then I went back to Mexico and got a job in an international law firm, at the time the largest law firm in the world, doing what back then, we're talking more than 25 years ago, uh, was called computer law. And computer law was this thing of everything that has to do with computers and this thing called the internet. And it was not clear what type of law applied to the internet or even how to apply laws to the internet. So it was a mixture of intellectual property, contract law, and copyright law. Privacy was not even uh, around the radar. So being among the very few lawyers in Mexico that's dealing with computer law, I was very lucky. I was very lucky because I got uh, many opportunities, I guess you could say, open to me. I was pretty soon involved, even though I was a, 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 attorney, a junior attorney in my firm, since there was no other lawyer really doing this type of work, I got involved in, in international deals and I often was traveling to Chicago mostly, the, the headquarters of the law firm and elsewhere, uh, representing our clients in, in this, these deals. So my professional life was really going very well, very fast. However, my personal life was becoming a mess. Um, within five years of my marriage, I found myself going through a very painful divorce, kind of those uh, stereotypical divorce. You work too much, you have no time to, to, have to be in a relationship, which was absolutely true. I was focused, that's not the right word. I was, I was working all the time. When you work in an international firm, there are no 
breaks. There are no vacations because if you have a client in China, if you have a client in New Zealand, they don't care if it's 3 a.m. in Mexico. You, you have to be awake for that conference call. So I was working a lot. And I thought, and I couldn't understand how come my personal life was falling into pieces as my professional life was going so great. Of course, it was not going great at all, but I couldn't even figure out that, that how disconnected I was from, from my own self. And I remember very well, I was, the moment I realized about it, not even my divorce, <laughs> Sadly, I, have, I shouldn't be laughing about that. But not even my divorce was enough to shake me out of that place. Uh, but it did something. I began realizing how unhappy the partners of my law firm were and how unhappy I really was doing that. I, I was making very good money, but I was really unhappy. And I remember, like I was saying, the moment we, it really hit me. I was in this huge negotiation. We were representing IBM uh, and I, we were like a team of 10 lawyers and we were in the Mexico City office and we had a, in front of us uh, the attorneys or the lawyers from Microsoft and they were we were trying to negotiate this agreement to get Microsoft programs in IBM computers. Very excited from one perspective. But then in the middle of all that, all of a sudden I went like, is this, is this it? Is this what I'm going to do the rest of my life? Trying to defend multinational organizations and trying to see who gets more millions out of something? And that was really, really sad. So this, is, this, this can't be it. There has to be something else. And, and that changed something. I was going to say that broke something, but not quite the opposite. That opened something uh, and remind me that the reasons why I got into the law in the first place and realized that, that I was very, very lost. I have lost my track completely. So it, it took me like six months more to figure out what to do. Eventually, I went to India, as many of us do when we don't know what to do with our lives, uh, and spent spend some time in India getting involved with different, uh, different traditions, learning about spirituality and psychology, and to make that part of the story short, that led me to CIS. I became aware that what I wanted to do was to help people live better lives. And the only thing that I could think about that was to become a psychotherapist. And since I wanted to combine psychotherapy and spirituality, uh, CIS appeared to be the, the, the best alternative for me. And, and I think it was. So I came here, talking about 15 years ago now, uh, don't worry, I won't talk about every single of those years. But while I was while I was doing that, people often came to me and said, oh, so you're an attorney. And I was very clear in saying, no, I was an attorney. Now I know that you, you never stop being an attorney. Not even psychotherapy heals you from that. <laughs> uh, but, but I was very clear. I didn't, I didn't want to have to do anything with that previous life. Had it with it. Corporations were the bad guys. I was now good with the good with the good people, the one that care about the environment, the one that care about people, and so on and so forth. So for the longest time, I was very resistant even to look back, uh, on, unless it was in, in therapy sessions, to look back about my past as a as a corporate attorney, corporate lawyer. But as I start sitting with clients, slowly, very very slowly, I'm a slow learner. 
I began noticing something in many ways. And those of you that are clinicians would understand this. Talking about countertransference, I realized to notice that I was sitting with me in sessions. Many of my clients were and, and still are uh, professionists, either engineers, lawyers, and people from marketing, that they were very successful in their professional life, but very, very unhappy in their personal life. There, there was something missing. And just like I was before, they couldn't understand what was missing between those two worlds. Uh, so I helped them in the ways that I could. I helped them find meaning. Some people left their jobs. Many stayed in their jobs but found a, a, a new way of, of uh, finding meaning in their life because they, they, wouldn't, they didn't want to leave their jobs or because they couldn't leave their jobs. I mean, it's not easy to say, oh, I'm just not going to work in what I do anymore. That, that's a hard decision to do. I was lucky enough for uh, a bunch of reasons and crazy enough perhaps to do it. Uh, and perhaps I was not skillful enough to figure out a way to do both, to, to be connected to spirit doing one type of work. But anyway, I started thinking about this. I was thinking about how I'm just treating the symptoms. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of wounded people out there from our current paradigm, I'll talk about a paradigm in, paradigm in a moment, and uh, what I'm doing, as many of us uh, are doing, are just trying to put a Band-Aid in, in a huge wound. So that's when it really, I start thinking what we should do is to start trying to heal that problem, heal that fragmentation. And that's when my version of spirituality in the workplace began to, to take place and to form as an attempt to bring together these, these two worlds and to heal that fragmentation. So that's why this is important for me. Forgot to tell you in, in telling you my story that this, this is not a story with a happy ending yet. <laughs> it's more like the second act. We'll get to the third act a, a little later. So that was, that's, that's where I am right now. I start thinking about how to bring this, these two worlds together. And to set things a little bit in context, and I'm sure you don't need to hear this, this, this information, but it helps me to, to, to start from somewhere. We are in many ways in a very bad place. I mean, we see crisis in pretty much every, every front, right? I don't need to talk too much here about the ecological crisis. As some people said, that, that we are in the, what is it, in the sixth, sixth mass, mass extinction. Within the next 20 years, half of the animals and plants in the world probably will disappear. We see scandals all the time, whether they're corporate scandals, the WorldComs, the Enrons, the Wells Fargo. It's like there's a crisis of values as well. Just here in the United States, to give you some statistics of, of how things are, and again, I don't want to uh, turn this into a depressive mood, but it is important for us to really face this fact. I have just a few numbers here. Just in the United States, there are 12 million people addicted to painkiller medications without a medical reason. The number, the percentage of people using antidepressants has increased in more than four, uh, 400 percent since 1988. We have nine million people addicted 
to to uh, sorry that need prescription for prescription medicine to sleep that tells us that something is not really working and again we're treating the symptoms there are 22,000 22, children dying every day in the world due to poverty. Well, as we know, the 1% of the richest now own about half of, their, of the wealth of this world. So something needs to change. Now, a good question to ask ourselves, and some of you may have asked this question already, how did we get here? I mean, that, that's a good question. We, we, it's going to be hard to change things if we don't know how and when this problem began. Of course, there are many answers to this question, but the more that I've thought about it and I've read some, uh, some philosophers about it, one of the answers, at least, is that it started somewhere around in the 1900s with the Industrial Revolution. If you think about it, before the Industrial Revolution, most people were either in agriculture and uh, they were merchants. They did stuff and they sold stuff or they were working in the land. So their family life, their work life, and even their spiritual life, their religious life, they were all connected. As the Industrial, re industrial Revolution comes about and we move from working the land, to use that one example only, into employees, that means we're living at the place we live, the people we, we live with, to work in a factory, things began to change. There was there was split. The, the, what we talk about, I'll say more about that later, but this split work-life balance began somewhere around then because we had our life and then we went, we went to work. And that was the split. Another problem, one other, it's not even a problem, another result of that is that the industrial revolution turned pretty much everything into resources. See, and much of the language that we use now, we talk about material resources, we talk about natural resources, and we talk about human resources. And what is, and what is a resource? Something that you use, and when it's depleted, you either discard it, a desk, when the desk is broken or whatever, you just send it, send it away and get a new one, right? When a person, uh, when a human resource, that's why I, I have issues with the, with the HR uh, nomenclature and many companies have, and I think that's part of that change. When, when, a, when a worker and an employee is not useful anymore, you just get a new one. It's just a resource, right? The other side of this, and even farther with this, uh, these companies had a tendency to want to commoditize things. They're either resources or their commodities, something that we can buy or sell. And everything that is not, that does not fall into that very dyadic categories was discarded as useless. Useless, uh, they lack value, or simply they were primitive. And guess what? In that process, all, all the richness of our humanity was discarded. Mm -hmm. We were spirituality, emotions, relationships were not really that important anymore. Corporations are children of the Industrial Revolution. Uh -huh. That is changing, that is changing. And, and, and let me be clear, I don't think that corporations are evil. <laughs> and I'm not here anymore, I used to think that. Uh, I'm not here to criticize corporations. I'm just saying that they are still, most of them anyway, are still living under that 1900 paradigm 
that treats everything as resources and what is not a resource, they just discard it as, as useless. So we need to change that. That's, that's the read point. It is important. We, we have outgrown that paradigm. And I believe that in many ways, the crisis or the multiple crises that we're facing had to do with the fact that we have uh, split our beingness. We are one way at work and we are another way at, at home or elsewhere in our lives. So should we do something about it? What do you think? Yeah. Yes. Yes, that, that's a, that was an easy one. I'll, it, they, they will get more complicated. <laughs> yes, I believe we should do something about it. And for me, the answer is we need to reverse that process. We need to reverse that process. And as this process brought about disintegration, fragmentation, we need to go into a process of integration, bring together what was left out of the equation. And that's precisely what I believe spirituality in the workplace is, is about. Bringing together, integrating our life as a whole. And this is a good time for me to make a distinction and, a, and some clarifications about what I mean by spirit and spirituality. As you know, spiritu sp spirituality is a, it's a complicated word, right? Um, you can, I, I'm sure that if I were to ask what is spirituality to every single one of you, we could get pretty much a different definition, some similarities for sure, but different definitions by uh, each one of you. So let me start by the easiest way that I can, is thinking about the etymology of the word, the root of the word. The word spirit comes from breath and to breathe. Spirit, spirare, comes from breathing. Interestingly enough, the word also means uh, vital force or, or vigor, right? That's the right pronunciation. You're going to have to help me with the pronunciation. But the courage, courage and, and vigor are also meanings of the word. So in many ways, spirit has to do with the vitality, what moves you, what, what keeps us alive, which is the inner force that keeps us alive. And spirituality is the outer expression, the external expression, or even the behavior that manifests spirit so that is that is a very simple definition if i want to go even a little deeper into that for me spirituality is that is is that energy that moves us what makes life meaningful and almost like uh, tangentially but not really that is a definition of spirituality that anyone can get what really matters to you Without going, going, we CIS, we have this very technical term, without getting too woo-woo, mm -hmm, it's something that everything, everyone can understand. What matters to you is spirituality. It's a manifestation of spirituality. The other thing that is also very important to, to distinguish is, this now is very clear, but it's always worth mentioning, uh, this distinction between religion and spirituality, right? Uh, and just to... Uh, repeat something that you know for me religions are containers and spirituality is the content so religions are sorry spirituality is fluid and religions provide structures structure about how to connect with the big mystery with the divinity god allah emptiness sunyata whatever you want to call it but they they give you a structure to go into that direction but they're different and to be very clear, 
even though they are very valuable approaches to workplace spirituality that I would call workplace religiosity, that's not what I'm talking about. Because the religiosity is first is problematic because we, we some of us may have diff- some of us do have different beliefs, and the other problem is very culturally bound, right? So in the United States, a lot of companies that have a religious approach would have a Christian approach, and some others one, but a lot will be Christian. If you go to China, their religi- their religiosity in the workplace will be embedded with Confucian Confucianism principles or Taoist principles. If you go to Hindi- India, you will see that many companies actually uh, apply the Bhagavad Gita as karma yoga. So, uh, and they're all fine. I have no problem with that. But there's also research, and you're going to he- hear me say this often and often. There is research that proves. Uh, so this is the first one. There is research that proves that a general approach to spirituality in the workplace functions better and causes less uh, conflict than a religious approach to spirituality in the workplace. And again, I'm not uh, rejecting one or the other. I'm just trying to go into what is more applicable and, and that research has shown that that works. Now, so what do we? how do we do it then? Well, the interesting thing about all approaches to spirituality is that they're all trying to deal with the same mystery, right? Mind you, I'm not saying that all religions say the same thing. I don't even want to say, which is which is a danger, it's a temptation to say, oh, all religions are the same. Not always. But that's a complicated discussion beyond, beyond the point of what I want to uh, discuss today. But what what do find is that when you try to distill the basic principles, principles sorry, of most spiritual traditions or religious traditions, you begin to find some commonalities. And I'm going to say a few. Feel free to check whether your own spiritual tradition embraces these things or not. So most, I'm tempted to say all of them, but let's say most spiritual traditions somewhat and somewhere talk about self-awareness, talk about respect, talk about responsibility, talk about meaning, talk about love, talk about trust, talk about connection, talk about transcendence. They may be using different language, but it it is there somewhere or another. Acceptance, contentment, peace. So, when we, when I talk about spirituality in the workplace, that's uh, that's what I'm talking about first. Spirituality. I'll get into a workplace. I'm jumping ahead of myself. When when we go into the workplace, that's what I mean by spirituality. Those basic principles or core principles that we can find in pretty much all tradition in in one way or another. A very easy way to understand what I'm saying is what some authors, and I, and I embrace this, is that the three C's of spirituality that are basically connection, compassion, and contribution. Connection is connecting to others and a higher, we call it a higher power, you could call it a mystery, you could call it a reality beyond ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's, that's connection. Compassion, it has to do with kindness towards one another. 
and contribution has to do with service. This deeply human desire to make the world better. Even if it is only for those that I cl closely love or for the larger human community. So all th these three C's are, in my way, a guiding way of understanding how to bring this into the workplace. Now, bringing spirituality in the workplace, why is such an oxymoron? <laughs> I mean, I explained the historical reasons for that, but it is very interesting that you find this problem both in the spiritual end of the spectrum and in the business end of the spectrum. This idea that these two things don't really mix. On the one hand, spiritually minded people tend to think that uh, business, the, the, the marketplace and business meetings and all that stuff is superficial. Oh, that's not really the real stuff. The real stuff is the spiritual stuff. And when you turn to, to business-minded people, they, they discard spirituality as impractical. As somebody said, if you're with the mystics, you cannot take care of the logistics. <laughs> so that's, and it goes back to this split. It goes back to this idea that these are uh, separated. And let me go back to the idea of workplace, uh, work-life balance. If you think about it, that's a very sad idea. I mean, when it came about, it was, it sounded like a good idea, right? You need to be balanced between your work and your life. But obviously the question there is, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. So when you are working, you're not living, that is not your life. So what, are you frozen? <laughs> or what is going on? And, and if, the sad part to me is that what we do most of our day, most of our life, we don't consider it as part of our life. So it's, I, I really dislike this idea of life-work balance because it's, it's false. And as a matter of fact, I believe that this separation between spirituality and, and workplace is totally false. And we could get very, very uh, philosophical about it, but I won't, don't worry, we could. Uh, and if you want, we can go into questions into that, but I'm, I'm tempted by that, you can see. Uh, but just think about this, the, the spiritual masters of all traditions, doesn't matter from one tradition, from the big ones, the Jesus, the Jesus, the Buddha, the Mother Teresa, uh, Mohammed, in, in every direction that you go, Nagarjuna, the masters were incredibly engaged in the world. They were not in a cave doing nothing. Uh, they were transforming the world. They were fully engaged in the world, uh, as, as the sense say, chopping wood and carrying water, right? Before enlightenment, chopping wood and carrying water. After enlightenment, chopping wood and carrying water. So is this thing that, that this separation is, is totally artificial. And companies are beginning to realize this in, in the way they work. Let's face it, companies, what companies want always is to find, to, to harness the most out of their resources. Hopefully that's, no, not hopefully, I know that is changing. But what they beginning to realize, and again, research prove it, and I'll give you some numbers in a moment, is that actually bringing spirituality in the workplace brings about uh, more productivity and more creativity and a bunch of stuff that I'll go into the in, 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 in a while. And on the other hand, oh, um, and let me say something. This is very, very important. 
this is not a flavor of the month type of approach. This is not, oh, now let's include spirituality in the workplace. That's not going to work because we can, we can tell a phony. We can tell when something is just, we're just adding it to whatever we're doing. Oh, yes, now, now we have a chaplaincy here in, in the premises, right? But you're still required to do exactly everything the same. That, that's not going to work. There has to be a clear coherence between what the company believes, what the company wants, and an alignment with what people want, individuals want. So that's, that's very important to keep in mind, that this is not something that we just can be just added to. So just like with the spirituality, I won't give you, I hope I don't disappoint you, a, a specific definition of workplace spirituality. There are tons. I've been doing research for many years now, and I have a list of about 20 different definitions, all of them pretty good. and I could go with any of them. But more than a definition, I'm just going to do the same that I, that I did with spirituality. When you start reading all these definitions, you start finding that some words always find their way into the definition. And you find words like, where am I in my notes? Well, I don't know where am I in my notes. But you, you find words like uh, community. You find words like ser service, words like meaning, values, purpose, connection, and so on and so forth, that the list, interestingly enough, is very similar to the basic traits of spirituality that we talked a moment ago. So you don't, we don't have to come up with a very complex definition. We have to focus more on what we see in spiritual people, in a way. And that's, and that's, that's, a, that's a nice way of putting it. Now, the main message that I want to send to all of you that I want, if, if you don't get anything else out of this lecture, I hope you get this one very clearly. Doing this, bringing spirituality into the workplace, is not just the right thing to do, it's not just a nice thing to do for your employees, it's actually the ultimate competitive advantage for a company. How's that for good news, <laughs> right? And again, here, here I'm gonna join into into what happens when, when there's no spirituality in the workplace and what happens when you bring spirituality in the workplace because there are companies that are already doing this. So a company that asks people, its employees, not to bring their spirituality in the workplace basically is asking people to split their beingness, to leave a part of who they are outside, to check it at the door. And we know from psychology and, and other disciplines that when there is fragmentation, there, there is disequilibrium in the system. And when there's disequilibrium, there's, there's illness. And when there's illness, guess what? There's going to be burnout. There's going to be absenteeism. There's going to be turnover. And just to give you, again, two very basic numbers, uh, replace an employee when an employee leaves a company for, for whatever reason, costs a company about seven months of salary of that employee. Between finding the person, interviewing the, the right person, uh, training that person, and all the work that is not being done while this person is away, about say seven months of, of, of salary. That's, that's significant. Another, another point of data, 
as, as, as I say now, a point of that as a piece of information, I would say. Uh, just for mood-related uh, uh, mental illness, which is basically depression and the like, it costs more than $50 billion a year to businesses, uh, uh, things related to, to depression. Either it is absentism, or I think it's called now presentism, when, when people are at their jobs, but they're so depressed or so anxious or whatever it may be that they're not really producing. So that's what happens when human beings are split. Companies that are spiritually minded outperform their competitors in 400%, 400% in earnings, return of investments, and shareholders' value. This comes from the Harvard Business Review. Companies that are spiritually minded are 78% better in employment recruitment and retention. They grow 80% faster, uh, increasing efficiencies and produce higher return of investment again. Employees in these companies sp uh, spend 40% more time focusing the task at hand and spend 60% more time feeling energized. And this is clear. When we are integrated, because disintegration costs a lot, costs a lot of psychic energy. It is hard not to be integrated and be in the workplace because we need to repress or push aside a big part of who we are. And, and that simply doesn't work. So I... I deeply believe that companies that get this, and again, there's hope, and I'll say more about that, uh, are going to begin reaping the benefits of this. If they do it as part of an, I have to keep repeating this, if they do this as part of an integral strategy or integral approach, while those companies that don't are going to have to pay the price. And there are many indications of that. Now, like I, I've been saying, this is already happening. This is already happening. It's, it's funny, right back in 2005, this famous book that some of you may remember, Megatrends. What a name for a book. Megatrends in 2005 said, spirituality in the workplace is one of the, is, is perhaps the next megatrend to keep an eye on. So why we don't see it? I don't know if this happened to you, but I got a, a, a when, when even when I came with, with the name spirituality, uh, workplace spirituality, I got a lot of of comments and people contacted me and we have this. That doesn't make sense. This is oxymoron that we we were talking about it. So if it is happening and it is being happening and research has been increasing systematically from the late 1990s until now, why we don't see it? And I have two answers for that. The first one is because bad news are always louder. <laughs> um, there's a way in which we hear the bad news all the time. We hear about the scandals. We, we hear about the crisis. But we don't hear much about the good news. An Argentinian singer, Facundo Cabral, used to say, the bad, the bad people are louder than the, than the good people. So a bomb makes a lot of noise. But for every single bomb that is dropped, 
there are thousands and thousands of hugs given every day. So we have to begin attuning to the love. And there's another reason, this is a very practical one, well, I hope they're both practical, but the other one is that companies really don't know yet how to do this right. So I've seen, and I'm very encouraged and happy about this, we've seen this strides, uh, let's bring yoga into the workplace. Yeah, and, and we do that. Let's bring um, mindfulness. I'm all for mindfulness. I'm a real believer of the value of mindfulness in the workplace. But you see, doing that, and then the next thing is let's bring Friday evening drinks to the workplace. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's also good. But there is this part, this is the flavor of the week kind of approach, right? And that's why we're still trying to figure out what is the best way to do that. And CIS and I am being part of that, of, of that figuring out. But I believe that we are witnessing a silent revolution. I totally believe that this is actually working well. We see it everywhere. We see it in things such as social responsibility, uh, environmental uh, sustainability, the emphasis in a corporate culture, uh, values, leadership, uh, diversity and inclusion, all of that are children of spirituality. They go back to those values that we talked about a moment ago. Uh, consumers are becoming, we as consumers are becoming more mindful of the importance of this. We, we, we're beginning to realize that we have to pow the power to demand companies to take action toward the environment, toward inclusion, towards diversity, and we are willing and able to punish companies that don't do that. And every time there's a scandal, um, we, we know that we can say, well, I'm just not going to buy these products, I'm going to buy these other products. So we're forcing companies to do that. The millennials and the Generation C clearly are demanding more inclusion, clearly and demanding more social responsibility. However, we still don't hear the S word in the workplace. So on the one hand is the, the next mega trend, and on the other hand is still the last corporate taboo. Can this be done? Can we bring spirituality in the workplace? So I believe the answer is yes. And there's even a better answer to that. It has to be done. There's no other way. There's truly no other way. The question is not whether should it be done. The question is really, are we going to be able to do it fast enough? Are we going to be able to do it on time? And although there are many ways of seeing this, corporations are so powerful and they hold so many of their resources that I believe that any approach of saving the world, if you allow me to use that type of language for a moment, that does not include as a central piece working with corporations, working with businesses, working with companies, uh, is, is doomed to fail. Governments don't have the muscle to do that anymore. We've seen that over and over. We've seen it in the lobbying. We see it in, in many ways. It has to be, the work has to be done from within these, these corporations. So just going back to this idea, we've said, we've said the problem is that we split ourselves. We splitted our spiritual being from our from the rest from our work being. We we go around split. And we need to change that. 
And some would say, I hear this a lot, that's too late. Uh, the, the cynics, the naysayers, right? They say, this, this can't be done. So I hope we, I, I'm, I'm, the, the little information that I could give you now proves, in my head it does, and again, there's a lot of information there, that it, it can be done and it, and it should be done. And I believe that when companies begin seeing that it's good business, they will begin doing it even if it is for financial profit. And that's fine to begin with. That's, it's not ideal, but let's be practical, right? We need to start somewhere, and I believe just the same thing that happened with meditation. Meditation's been around for, what, 3,000 years, to say the least, probably more. But it was when it, be, when it sorry to use this word, when it was, when people began marketing, John kabat and others began marketing as stress reduction, and neuroscience discovered the benefits of meditation, that, that comp- corp- corporations start buying into it. Say, yeah, this actually makes sense. So don't get too discouraged. We need to be able to make this translation, translate spiritual language into something that makes sense to this corporation. The bottom line for many companies is still profit. Nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, some companies are going to the, the triple bottom line, which is, which is beautiful. But even if they're just thinking about financial gain, when they see that being good is good business, they will begin changing things. I deeply believe this. Does this make sense? Right, so now, now comes the beginning of the third act. And I'm here to recruit you. I'm here to invite you to begin taking spirituality seriously. I'm here to invite you to take spirituality out of the closet, whatever your spiritual approach is, and start talking about it. I know, I know, we were all taught, I'm, I know I was, never talk about sex, politics, or religion uh, with public in public, right? You see, that doesn't apply. We're talking about sex all the time. We see it everywhere. We're talking about politics all the time. You can escape that. So it's time that we begin talking about spirituality, not religion for the reason that I explained, but we begin talking about spirituality uh, in, in, the, in the workplace and everywhere in life. Like I said, the challenge is whether it's too late. And I, I don't believe it's too late. I, I still am hopeful for the human race. Joanna Macy, that teaches here in CIS, is, is fun to say that Think about this. It took us about a thousand years to move from hunter-gatherers into agricultural societies. Then it took us about a hundred years to move from agriculture into industrial societies. Then it took us about 10 years to move from the industrialization into the information society. So this has happened before. Every single time consciousness reached a new level of development, everything changed. New ways of production were developed, new institutions institutions were created, everything changed. So that's why this is important, to bring about this change of consciousness is the way that things can change very, very quickly now that we are all, in a way, interconnected. Now, you can use whatever language 
works for you. You could talk about this is karma yoga. You can talk about tikkun olam. You can talk about your personal jihad. You can talk about bringing the kingdom of God into the planet Earth, right? It doesn't really matter. And again, part of the idea is being able to have these conversations. Um, I forgot the name of this monk. But anyway, there was this, this monk. Oh, I'm going to be annoyed because I don't remember his name. But anyway, send me an email and i tell you the name. He, he, he was talking about when he first started meeting with Buddhists uh, back in the day, 30 years, 40 years ago, he was very careful not to talk about God because he knew that Buddhists don't talk about God. They talk about sunyata. And so he was always talking about mystery. He was always talking about the unknown and things like that, words like that. And, say, and then the Buddhist monks said, oh, you're talking about God. So there is a way in which we can have these conversations. And we can have these conversations into the workplace. I know because in CIS we have them all the time. So it's not just avoiding this, it's about bringing it about. And I, like I said, the, the evolution of consciousness is not just happening to us. It's happening through us. We are the change that is taking place. And I, I want you, I really encourage you to take ownership. This is not for others to do. This is for us to, to realize, as, as the work says. Spirituality is not a woo-woo thing. As back as Maslow in the 1940s, he believed clearly that spirit, spirituality, if you remember the pyramid, the pyramid, the hierarchy of needs, he put at the very top spirituality. He self-realization. Mm -hmm. But he believed that once you meet the basic needs of human needs, of course, the first one is the, the basic needs, food and shelter, and there you need for safety, and there you need for self-esteem, and then you need for inclusion. But in a society like the United States, where most people, clearly not everybody, but most people have those basic needs met, spirituality becomes a, a biological need. When another research shows that when you ask leaders in, in, in big corporations what is it that they care most about, they didn't say money. They didn't say benefits. The first thing they said was a place where I can find self-realization, different language, but that's, that's the point. Second, a place where I feel that I can communicate with others, connect with others. And the third one, a place where I can be creative. Remember the three C's? Money came in the fourth place, interestingly enough. So I want to challenge you. This, this is the third art, act. I want us to be part of this third act in which we all become, as Gandhi would put it, right? Uh, the change we want to see in the world, the change we want to see in these businesses. Peter Senge, from the, from the systems theory approach in, co in corporation, he said, we have to be able to escape the, the prison of what is to move into the freedom of what is possible. So let me finish with a quote we're at, at CIS, and CIS was founded by Haridas Chowdhury. So let me finish with a quote from Haridas Chowdhury that I think is, is re very relevant for this purpose. Let me see if I can read it. We are going through a transitional period of evolution, of crisis. Well, all the latent contradiction and discrepancies of human nature 
have come to the foreground of our consciousness, resulting in chaos. Sounds familiar? The problems we see today are traceable to our current level of consciousness. Just as human rationality evolved from animal consciousness, another breakthrough in evolution is coming when out of human consciousness, a higher type of consciousness emerge. This integral consciousness will give rise to an entirely new order of civilization, a unique world of real unity, peace, harmony, and progress. And as Khalil Gibran used to say, work is love made visible. So let's make our love visible. Thank you. You've been listening to the podcast for CIIS Public Programs. Audio production was supervised by Lyle Barrere at Desired Effect. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at ciis.edu slash podcast.